All righty. All right, guys, and welcome to another edition of the Tuscan Podcast. This is our LVO recap. Uh, with me is Mike. Evening. And uh, so, Mike, LVO has concluded. We're back. We've had a chance to kind of chill out and kind of recover a little bit. Uh, looking at the aftermath here, it was uh, it was quite an event, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely something. Um, I, one of the things that uh, the I, I guess I didn't take into account, I guess, was the scale of the event. Because um, yeah. let me tell you, the convention hall was a little overwhelming at first. <laughs> Yeah, the um, you walked in, if you weren't there, you walked in and it was this giant convention hall and you kind of step in and it looks like the size of like a banquet hall at a hotel. So it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's big, but it's not like, hey, world championship big until you realize that you step into the back and it's like the size of an aircraft hangar uh, that is just kind of <laughs> completely open and there's, you know, it's like 300 tables in there. It is yes. massive. As far as the eye can see. Yeah, so, man, ridiculous. it's it, pretty impressive the amount of work that would have gone into getting all the terrain ready and even just the organization of the event. I know that um, the start of it, they had some hiccups with the uh, the BCP app, but after that, everything was rolling pretty smooth. So. Yeah, and I, I will say uh, the tables were pretty impressive, all things considered. Um, I mean, there were eight pieces of decent-sized terrain um, on every board. Um, even though there were some tables that were not, well, not all tables were equal. Um, yeah, and not all matches you drew were equal either, right? So you, yeah, yeah. You know, just the luck of what table you end up on kind of had a little bit to do with what terrain you got and everything. So you know, it was totally in 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 the realm of possibilities that you played, you know, four or five games on very similar terrain, which I know I did. So. Mm-hmm. I would say I uh, might have looked a little better there. Um, all three of my tables, well, four t- the uh, the four tables I would have played on because I didn't play that fourth game uh, had different terrain at least. Um, yeah. So the um, the third one at least was definitely not a very well balanced table because of the way that the big L shaped ruin winds up. It's very difficult to place that in a equitable way. Just kind of hog the middle of the table, if I remember right. Yep. Well, with the event closing, uh, that brings us to the close of the 2018 ITC season. And your Thousand Suns champion this year was Justin Curtis. And he was running quite the list, actually. Uh, You know, it's interesting... I know there's been a few questions brought up around, you know, well, how did it classify as Thousand Suns? Um, well, first of all, if you if you haven't had time, um, hit out the or hit up the uh, Thousand Suns subreddit because he was uh, gracious enough to jump on there. Uh, I think late last night and started mm-hmm. doing Q and A, Q&A, just a very impromptu Q and A with all of the uh, the members in there. So if you you know want some really good insight into how one of these uh, lists get put together at a competitive level and some of the things that go into it. Um, he does a really good job of breaking that down and kind of the considerations he made and, you know, the, the thought process that goes into the list. So it's a, uh, it's, it's a really good, uh, really good thing to check out. Yeah. It also provides a fairly good, um, I guess, insight into how ITC sort of classifies these lists. 
um, because the reason for the his the list being classified as Thousand Sons um, is actually explained there because I guess he went to the TOs before the thing began to sort of right. get some clarification there. Right. So he, yeah. So the Nurgle, he has a Nurgle detachment, and mm-hmm. uh, un- unfortunately, the way it worked was they they did not have and I think you ran into this at some point during the year where they didn't have the faction listed in there yeah and, because it's a a greater it's an alliance faction that isn't right. one of the big four and what it also sounds like is ITC doesn't even if there is a uh, you know quote unquote faction that you could technically build an army for there still needs to be a number of people playing that for them to make it like a classified class uh, I guess or an official class that you or uh, faction that you can choose. Uh, yeah. and it sounds like with like the base factions, you know, probably following the, the FAQs where you had to bring the, um, you know, you couldn't have everything in your detachment be chaos or Imperium, etc. Mm-hmm. After that, it, it, it makes sense because we've, we've probably seen a, a drastic reduction in the number of, you know, soup armies that, um, you know, don't bring those items anymore or, or bring those mixed attachments anymore. So it's kind of like a um, him kind of mixing it up a little bit, but he was ultimately kind of driven into this thousand sons faction because it was the only one that he had that was class that actually was classified. So hopefully ITC can kind of figure out how to, how to do that a little bit better here next year. Cause I know it was, he wasn't the only one that had to deal with that kind of stuff and, and other folks kind of trying to engineer their armies to, to fall into certain categories. Yeah. Though based off of what he was saying, I don't think he did it on purpose in this case. Oh no, um, no, not at all. But uh, I, I can definitely see how it could be tempting to try something like that. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. For sure. Uh, so if you're wondering what his list was, uh, he had a thousand sons battalion. Uh, with Aramon and a sorcerer in it, he had a couple Zangor squads uh, that were around 20 man, and then one that was about a 10 man Zangor squad. And then he had a battalion of demons uh, with a bloodthirster of incessant rage and a demon prince of chaos with the axe and wings. Then he had a three 10 mm-hmm. uh, man horror units. Uh, and then to round it out, he had a supreme command that this is that Nurgle detachment we were talking about that had Mortarian. Uh, two Poxbringers, a Warpsmith, and a death squad of Death Shroud Terminators. So the interesting thing is, you know, when we, you and I actually had a conversation about this the other night, and we sat here and looked at the, uh, we looked at this list, and it took us a little bit to kind of try and pick this apart, like, what is he doing with this list? Yeah. But his Q&A really revealed some stuff that he was doing that was really insightful here. So when you really break it down, the two big bad guys in this list are the Bloodthirster and Mortarian. Yeah. Traditionally, the issue has been you bring Mortarian or Magnus, uh, and they're going at the competitive level. There's enough optimized, uh, enough of these lists are optimized that they can deal with Mortarian or Magnus very fast, like turn mm-hmm. one fast. Um, and they're going to be gone off the table. And I learned this last year when I had, I was running them in my list that, you know, I basically could not, win overall because I was going to get to that that upper echelon of the uh the tournament and I would eventually run into a list that could deal with him very quickly and efficiently and I couldn't rely on going first as my strategy so yeah uh, one of the things that he did last year was he he was running Magnus or Mortarian 
And with the two of them, you pretty much have to pick when you're the, the enemy, which one are you going to go with and which one are you going to try and take out first? Cause to kill both is that, that would be a tall order. I don't think barring some very barring interesting, very excellent luck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's probably not going to happen. So what he does in this list is he runs Mortarian up um, and he runs the bloodthirster as kind of like this distraction carnifex. And he even, you know, was saying uh, that he kind of was trying to put it out there like, hey, guys, you need to shoot this thing. This is the thing to shoot right here. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, what he did was he would bring the Death Shroud Terminators up. Now, you know, typically you wouldn't have the Terminators there because um, the or Mortarian would basically be warp timing up and you, you'd have to bring the Terminators up with them to, to give make use of their bodyguard rule, which is very similar to the Grot Shield, where you can basically ablate wounds from Mortarian onto the um, onto the Terminators. So what would happen was he would not warp time Mortarian. He would essentially move the Bloodthirster up. And so the enemies would be t- trying to take care, shoot a, the Bloodthirster while the Terminators were over there. If you decided to shoot Mortarian, well, you're going to be you know, sending a lot of that damage over onto the Terminators, which is a really good shield for uh, Mortarian. Yeah, which um, especially if you get something like a Castellan shooting them. Yeah, which the Terminator is actually a good target for warp time there because it allows them to keep up with what Mortarian as he moves exactly. across the table. And uh, the other th- important distinction there between them and like Grot Shields and most other bodyguard units is they actually have a baked in uh, feel no pain plus multiple wounds. So they can actually survive doing their job, which is something right. that most other bodyguards can do. Right, and you really, if free. you're thinking about it, you really only need them for about one turn of shooting, right? Because after that, Mortarian yeah. is going to be in and doing his thing. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. in turn after that, it's gravy. The other thing that was really interesting, so why he, why he brought Mortarian into the list rather than Magnus was a very good point that he made in the fact that Mortarian has a sweeping attack, uh, very mm-hmm. much like how knights have a sweeping attack, and the Bloodthirster also has a sweeping attack where Magnus doesn't. Yeah. And it definitely does shine a light on kind of one of the big negatives with Magnus is that he, he can do very high focus damage to one thing, but when it comes to like a horde of orcs or gene stealers or what, what have you, he's not going to be the best thing to, to have in there working on that stuff. So Yeah, he'll spend more time trying to either run away or just punching cheap stuff than he will actually clearing the tarpit. And so yeah, it has some problems there. So it's interesting, his list, uh, he placed, uh, if I remember right, he placed about uh, top 20. Uh, he, was, he was up there. Uh, he did very well at LVO. Um, any, I mean, any, any top, hell, if you were to say top 50, that's, that's a hell of a good showing at LVO because you have to be. Definitely. You, you have to be at least five and one, and you have to have won you know, quite a bit because there's a, there's a good mashup of people that, that are four – sorry, five and one that are up there and then you're vying within that group of them. So, mm-hmm. um, so LVO being over, um, this is kind of our last little recap of the event uh, just to kind of close out. Um, if you missed it, I did a post uh, or a podcast, a solo podcast, uh, the night after day two of the tournament uh, while I was completely shredded from it. it. It was <laughs> extremely dry there. And uh, the schedule was uh, absolutely, you know, bonkers how, how fast 
the day would fly by and you're you're basically down there at eight o'clock in the morning breakfast is real quick you're in there you're playing and the games just go click 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 and before you know it's eight o'clock at night and yeah the uh, the uh, breaks i think were a little too short there because i remember the, the the first day of the tournament um i literally in, almost inhaled uh my lunch uh, <laughs> as you recall just not trying to make it in time <laughs> yeah yeah i'm sure you weren't the only one i know other folks were saying it was it was very similar but you know at the same rate they had three hour games so you know you can imagine the the turnaround time you have to stick to to be able to make it through the whole day you know that's yeah kind of what it is so um so barring that if you want to catch some of my thoughts on how those those day two games went uh, i gave some feedback on that um <clears throat> I, I will say that the the underlying theme of my day two was hordes, hordes, and more hordes. And it was my dreadnoughts essentially getting swarmed by hordes game after game after game. So it was it was not the most of enjoyable uh, part of the uh, the event for me, but uh, I will say that um, I did walk away with some positives out of it. Uh, I thought the um, the strategies I used against the Ludas worked pretty good. Um, <clears throat> both, both of the orcs that I matched up with had similar lists, but just slight different flavors to what they brought instead. Um, but in both cases, I was able to effectively with the, the bolters on the drills, the rubric marine bolters, and uh, just some f- missiles from the deradios, uh, basically just wipe the grots out, make him spend some CP by targeting the Ludas at least once, um, so he's using it. And uh, then, you know, turn two, I'm able to bring the obliterators down and, and wipe them out. So, um, yeah. so overall it was, you know, there were things I, I walked away with. Um, I will not be taking that list on through 2019. So um, if you caught one of my blog posts about the lists and the thought process I had going into LVO, it was very much, you know, I'm going to take something that I think would be fun, uh, trying to test out some stuff at the same time, uh, try some units that I think I might use this next year, and then kind of take that as a learning experience. Plus, it was my first LVO, and I had no idea what to expect. So it was really just, let me let me take something I think will be fun. I don't have to play a horde army like 90 plague bearers on the map. So mm-hmm. just kind of the best thing to, to just kind of roll in there with. So um, I will say, the biggest takeaway for me from the whole th- thing, Mike, those drills. I love those <laughs> drills. And I hate those drills. <laughs> so it's a theme that worked really well for me. Um, game one, I, I talked about how it basically tried to eat two shield captains and nearly did it by one wound. Um, <clears throat> it's essentially a drop pod that can then go off and murder stuff. Which is fantastic. A much just a little bit more tougher drop pod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've got T eight. You know, it's it's ten wounds. You can deep strike it. You can get out like a drop pod. Uh, you know, the the attacks it has are just fantastic. Um, it's got mm-hmm. plenty of shooting on there with two combi bolters or, or storm bolters, what have you. Same thing. And the um, melto array and just yep. all of the bad things. Yep. Yep, all the stuff on there just makes it f- fantastic. So I would definitely say if you're if you're in the market for a transport, uh, the drill right now is uh, is the word. So uh, <clears throat> with that, 
you know, it, it, the second thing we had, um, we had a dry run, I guess, of, of this podcast that, uh, you know, fizzled out uh, earlier this week uh, due to some technical <laughs> So this is, this is technically take two on this, but uh, yep. one of the things that's interesting is um, my second takeaway from the game was actually the um, targeting psychic powers like Infernal Gaze, Zinch's Firestorm, Doombolt. Um, I was able to make very good use of those during, during all of my events this week or this past weekend. And one of the things I figured out very quickly was that it's easy to get within 24 range of something. And it's easy to then be able to just say, you know what, I'm going to blow that up with, you know, D3 Mortal Wounds or um, Zinch's Firestorm or just hit it with a bunch of those spells and just watch it, you know, pretty much explode. And almost any characters in the game, you can target that way and take them out. Um, <clears throat> and what I find interesting about that is that in Justin's Q&A that popped up after that, he pretty much echoed the same thing. And he even went on to, to bring up, you know, uh, bolt of change being another thing that you can use. Um, so I, I was able to get quite a bit of, um, uh, I guess, mileage out of those spells. So you might, next time on your game, you might think about how you load them out and maybe take, take a few more of them loaded in, maybe one on Aramon, one on your Warlord, something like that. And you just spread things out. Yeah, which anything that allows you to selectively target is going to be excellent in that type of environment because people are going to have between three and six characters on average. And with how powerful the character buffs are, the ability to reach out and selectively remove those is excellent. And yeah. of course, free uh, victory points if you take Headhunter. <laughs> I mean, take the... Um... Uh, take the Big Mac as a really good example. I mean, you get one oh, yeah. sitting sitting right by a squad of boys, and you can pretty much just blow that up very easily. And mm -hmm. there goes their invuln save, and your rubric marines can basically just go to work and watch those boys just pop off the table. Yeah. So, uh, one of the other things, the contemptors. Um, I think right now they're phenomenal. Um, if you're you know on the on the fence about if you want to run them. Um, they worked very good for me. The Doradios, not so much. Uh, they're probably in the, you know, not so great category coming out of, coming out of the event, but the, yeah, very uh, much awesome, but impractical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a very good way of describing it. Uh, the, the contemptors, however, you can bring for, I mean, right out of the box with just butcher cannons, you could take them for, you know, 138. And, uh, I think that extra, you know, D6 shots with them is really good because you're hitting so well with their ballistic skill and it's strength five. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very helpful sometimes with like horde clearing. Um, but the way I would run them if I'm thousand suns is I definitely would guess them in, in an alpha legion detachment. So you can give them that a minus one to hit. Um, it just gives them that little bit of a survivability edge that makes your opponents either think twice about throwing the fire that they're going to throw there or, um, you know, makes them whiff a little bit more. It gives you a little bit of a better chance. Maybe if a Castellan is going to decide to try and, you know, disintegrate one of them. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's the way to go. I can't, can you think of any other Legion you might run one with? So for a shooting, uh, Dreadnought or Contemptor in particular, not particularly the only one, the other one that comes to mind, I guess would be, um, Iron, Han uh, Iron Warriors. If you're trying to ignore cover, Mm, um, but with the way ITC tables tend to be set up, um, that's not usually a huge concern for the things you'll actually shoot at with a contemptor. Um, right. At least the butcher cannons. 
Um, so now for a close combat uh, dreadnought, obviously there are options. Um, Renegade in, uh, comes to mind. So does World Eaters. But I think if the Butcher Cannons is the way to go and the extra bit of minus one to hit is just the best in that uh, spot. So if you go back to a point you made uh, just a moment ago about the Iron Warriors and their ignore cover, so um, you know, they introduced the prepared position stratagem, mm-hmm. which you know, for the for the games, I didn't use too much this week just because of the matchups and how they worked. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, you know, I think one of the things that's kind of interesting is that with Iron Warriors, people pretty much just don't, I mean, they won't take it, right? Like yeah. if you ignore cover, there's no reason for someone to take that um, strat. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing though, is that the, if you look at the general direction of the meta at the moment, there was, there was this big, you know, in, in incoming wave of horde armies at LBO. And definitely from a percentage standpoint, when I look at what we saw at Houston and Austin last year yeah, and what we saw at LBO, um, it, I, I don't think it was just the local meta here. I think it was definitely a, a much bigger uptick in the number of horde armies. We saw orcs, we saw gene stealers, tyranids. I mean, they, all of them were in just mm-hmm. very good, strong showings there. Um, and even the even the top lists had a much bigger board presence to them um, than you know what we what we saw probably last year for that matter. Yeah, which the I think the, the meta is shifting much more towards hordes because even the people that were bringing like Castellans and knights usually just had the one Castellan and then a whole bunch of infantry, mm-hmm. um, which is something that I think was predicted. Uh, earlier this year well technically last year um with uh orctober coming around and just how good their codex was and it's actually the funny thing is i actually very much planned for that myself but i uh, just didn't get the matches that didn't draw the lines you needed it didn't draw the matches i needed and so i wound up playing a lot of i guess older meta lists it was that my army struggles against yeah, if you look at the if you look at the matchups you drew and you look at the matchups I drew, and if you and I were to basically <laughs> flip our opponents, uh, just straight up like the same schedules mm-hmm. for both of us, we probably would have had much better results. Yes, like, very much so. <laughs> we pretty much just drew the exact opposite we needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that you know, in terms of LVO and and just the things coming out of there. Um, that's that's a pretty good amount of it. I've I've already done a pretty good job of just kind of uh, putting some summary out there in in my um, write ups of how each of my matches went. Um, yeah. I don't really have much from a thousand suns standpoint that was a huge takeaway, other than the fact that don't roll bad. You know, <laughs> if you bring obliterators, make sure you you know if you're gonna if you're gonna use them you probably don't want to bring more than one squad and you probably mm. when you shoot them should have prescience on them. And the way I played them that kind of worked for me was that I would shoot, I would just go in and just shoot them that first, that first round and see what they could do. And if they did enough damage that shooting a second time would be overkill. Well, then I tried to use something else to just kind of finish the job. Um, <clears throat> whereas if you go in thinking, you know what, I'm just going to shoot twice. 
Um, the, the, the fallback on that is that um, don't spend your command points to reroll their, their stats on the first round of shooting because you want to see what you can get. Even if it's not the greatest optimized role, like you've got twos and ones in there, mm-hmm. um, you still have a chance to get some stuff in there and you still have the ability to pop, you know, veterans of the long war, that kind of thing. Um, so you can, you can use all that, keep that stuff in your back pocket to say, okay, look, I whiffed on that first round of shooting. I'm going to keep that in my back pocket. And if I can't kill it, well, then I'm going to shoot again and I'm going to put everything into it and see how it goes. Yeah. Which actually on the topic of the obliterators. So my list takes their sort of derpy cousins, the uh, mutilators um and uh they're possessed and sort of what i was thinking about after our first sort of conversation about this earlier this week was that with the way i was sort of trying to improve my list following is that i very much feel that removing the randomness from your list is very much what you want to do if you're going to these so like there was a game you played versus that castellan where on averages you should have killed it but yes. you just you rolled garbage for your weapon stats and then just nothing went right and so you, you failed to kill it. And a sort of a running theme is that uh, very much the units, that they're, they're cool and they have a very good damage ceiling, but sometimes you just do garbage with them. And so I think trying to remove some of that randomness would go a long way towards making both of what we our list we took a little better uh, for this type of event at least. That's a good point. I know that in practice games lead up to LVO that uh, that strategy I had to eliminate the Castellan worked just about every game I played. Uh, you know, by turn two, I was able to have the thing off the board and mm-hmm. uh, I knew that I could get my contemptors to survive two rounds, um, at least two rounds, even if I went first, even better. Um, mm. But two rounds, even if I was going second. And uh, unfortunately, that just that was the one game where I, you know, I looked at it. I said, I know exactly what I need to do, and I, I put it into 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 motion. And the dice just let you down. And sometimes you just look at that and you say, you know what? That wasn't a decision that lost that game. That was just the dice that did it. I I wouldn't probably go back and change anything that I did. Uh, because I wouldn't have known that that's what I was going to roll. I think from a, from a strategy standpoint, that just didn't didn't pay off the way I thought it was going to. So, yeah, which did these things happen? They happen. <laughs> so, uh, so wrapping up our thoughts on uh, on LVO here, um, you know, if you're Mike, based on your experience, this was your first one. This was my first one. Um, if you're somebody who hasn't gone to one of these events. What kind of advice do you have to them if they're if they're thinking, you know what, maybe next year I'll go to LVO? Um, so a couple things go into LVO. Um, one, stay hydrated. Um, <laughs> which I think you mentioned how dry it was earlier. I cannot like, sort of state enough that uh, I the my first night there, sort of at pre-registration for the uh, first day, uh, I was standing in line and. I got lightheaded. It's like, why do I feel so bad? And I realized I hadn't drank anything all day because, I mean, here in Texas, as much as it gets hot, it's humid all the time. Yeah. And so I, I, on the way back to my hotel room afterwards, I like, drank two bottles of water and pretty much the entire 
time we were at the tournament that next day, just constantly drinking water to try to uh, stave off dehydration. I think you, uh, you were next to one of the water bottles <laughs> and noticed an yep. interesting phenomena. <laughs> yeah, I was on that topic. Uh, my third, my first game of the second day, I was next, literally next to one of the uh, the, the canteens or the the water fountains that they had there, and um, the the jug, the big like five gallon jug that's up on top of it, was full when our game started, and uh, I know this because I walked over and got a glass of water for both of us. He played his turn. We got done with that. It got to my turn. Um, and I was about ready. I went through everything, uh, finished my movement and everything. And I felt myself dry. So I went to get another glass of water real quick. Um, that thing was empty. Mm-hmm. It was empty after one turn of like just movement and just shooting. I couldn't believe it, it that it was completely empty at that point. And that I kept an eye on it afterwards and I saw it, it was literally a stream of people like every five yeah. seconds going over there and emptying a glass of water out of the thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, that, that advice is spot on. Yeah. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is one, this is a long tournament. Uh, I've been to plenty of GTs and those let's worry about this is on a whole different level. Um, I mean, David, you were pretty much done on your feet uh, by the time we got to day at the end of day one, and then by day two, you were just sort of in zombie mode, shuffling yeah. through your games. Yeah, my third game, <laughs> my third game, I decided that I would merge the movement and psychic phase together and just alternate between the two. And luckily, Bradley was such a good sport; um, he knew he had the game in hand, so he was just getting a laugh out of it. But yeah. <laughs> you know that that's just kind of how you're that's how much it can take out of you mm-hmm. um so gotta pace yourself uh there are chairs there take take advantage of them um and sort of i guess get plenty of sleep because the we're uh two hours different from las vegas and the, the jet lag was even for us was pretty real i knew there were guys coming out of like australia and like europe that oh, yeah. i don't even know how bad it was for them because they literally flew in were completely flip-flopped um, their sleep schedules and uh, had to play six minimum six rounds. And if you went on to the round, final round, uh, what, another two, three games? Yeah, another three games the next day. Yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah. Well, I could I could probably build on that by, by just saying that, you know, you, talk, you talked about this – tournament compared to your regional GTs um, and, and your, the size of your regional GTs tend to have about anywhere between at least about like 58, I think is the limit you have to make to make a GT yeah. um, up, up to about, you, I've seen some at about a hundred. Uh, yeah. I think some of the Texas events were about that big. Yeah. Most of the ones here in Houston are around 80 most times. Yeah. So the, so that sampling, you, you now scale that up uh, six or seven times in terms of the number of people that are there mm-hmm. um, based on the size of LVO this year. Uh, the thing that I found really interesting in the, the quality of your opponents at these events is that in a GT, um, you know, a lot of times you have guys that go to these things that you know, they're there to win best painted or they're there to win, you know, they're there just to basically have a good time. You know, it's a tournament. You know, so I've seen a lot of folks that they bring their kids and it's like a father son mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, so you've got your crop of casual folks. There's no crop of casual folks at LBO. It yeah. is 
it is seriously the, it is 100% competitive. Mm-hmm. And what happens with that is that even in the lower sections of the, of the herd, um, so losing a game early on or losing two games early on, one of my teammates and I were talking about how, how you almost end up in a completely different meta in that you, you, if you look at the crop of folks that were up at the very top, it's a very different crop of armies that are up there. And your chances are you're going to face a certain, a certain style of force versus the middle to the bottom. You're going to get a completely different army that's there. And if you were gearing yourself towards being able to play those top style armies, you can mm-hmm. find yourself in a real bad spot. And I, and I think that's actually what happened to him. Um, very, uh, you know, I don't have any excuses for me. I just, I just, you know, stunk it up. But uh, for him, I think he, he was geared very much for that. You know, I'm designing, expecting that, you know, I can use my own skill to get me through a couple early games. And then I'm going to be designed to really go toe to toe with some of these really top players, these top lists. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, when he dropped a game, I think he, I think he dropped his game two and game three, just like I did. And you know, it was just this, you, you looked at the, the, the opponents all around you and it was just kind of this sense of, you know, man, I'm, I'm playing a way different event at this point. And, yeah. uh, you know, on top of all that, there's no drop off, I think, in the talent at all. Um, when you go from, you know, top hundred to then you get down into the top, you know, help go all the way down to the, the end of the list. I think you had people that could beat you at just about every level that's in there. Um, so you, you pretty much, if you, if you lost early, you were fighting for, you know, every little point that you could get. Um, yeah. So, which, um, definitely for me was very much a a bit of an eye opener, I guess, because my first game and my third game were just as hard fought and, I guess I sort of expected after I lost the first game that, okay, so the rest of my games would be much sort of easier. Um, and that's, it never happened. Right. And that's kind of what you experience. Like, and and we talked about this before LVO, um, you kind of go into these, you're not necessarily going in to really, you know, compete. You're, you're kind of more having fun and just trying to do as best as you can with like, you know, if, if you look at your army, it's, it's an oddball art, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I showed up with my janky ass for funsies list to an event <laughs> where everyone's like, sh- like I took a knife to a freaking bazooka fight, and uh, I, I managed to get the drop on one guy, and everyone else is like, oh, "Gotcha, bam!" <laughs> so in the GTs, though, locally, at least you have some folks that you know you typically can have some fun games towards the end of the the tournament, where you know, okay, I you know lost against a pretty good list or a, a really good player, that kind of thing. And, yeah. you know, you, you, you can get, you can get something out of it. And I think if you looked at Austin, I think you ended like within a spot or two of me yeah. in the final standings at the end of the day. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, overall, I think that's kind of one of the big differences with LVO where you, in the, in the champs tournament, you can't do that. It's just 100% all out competitive the whole time. Yeah, which uh, is to be expected uh, for an event like that. I mean. Yep. Uh, I would also say that the costs are probably a lot higher than you expect them to be, too. Um, I, 
I know that with my hotel, uh, one of the things that's unexpected is all the fees they throw on there. Uh, mm -hmm. So be expected that you're going to, you know, that you might look at the, the hotel rates right now for a year out and say, oh, well, it's, you know, 120 a, uh, a night. And then what you might find when you when you book that is that, oh, well, then there's a hundred dollar a day, you know, casino fee or something that they throw on there. And it's kind of like, what? So, yeah. So you can, you, you don't necessarily, I know some of the folks did good. Um, you don't necessarily always have to stay at the same, um, uh, at the venue, uh, at the hotel with the venue. I will say there's a big benefit to doing that. You don't have to walk outside. It was very cold. Traditionally at that time of year in Vegas, it tends to be cold. Um, so if you, you know, you like being able to just get up, come downstairs, get some breakfast and then go right into the event. I did really like that. I did think that that kind of helped me a little bit. Um, but I, I would say that um, be prepared for your expenses to be uh, maybe 25, 30% higher than, than you're expecting them to be just based on food costs and taxes and everything else thrown on there. So, yeah. Um, but if you're, if you're planning for this big of an event, I mean, that's kind of, you're kind of expecting it's going to be an expensive trip. Um, I, I know I'm, I'm planning on going next year. Um, hopefully I'll be in a better spot with thousand suns where I'll actually take a run at uh, best overall. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, you have anything else to add about, uh, LVO? Um, I don't know. So I will say that even if you're not necessarily going for the GT, um, LVO is a massive event. And so, the, the narrative actually looked to, to like a ton of fun. And if it weren't for the whole cost thing, I'd actually consider going again next year just for that. Um, and of course, remember Magnus did nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys until next time. <laughs>